0: Praise the Lord. Well, if you got that Bible, why don't you go ahead and get it out? And if you want to stand for the reading of the word, you surely can can join me. So I'm not standing alone this morning. We're going to be reading from the book of First Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter 18. I'll give everyone a minute to turn there. And I do take a moment again to give honor where honor is due. I give honor to our pastor and our first lady, Sister Satan, this morning for the opportunity to teach before you once again. Never do I take this opportunity lightly. And uh, I'm just appreciative that they allow me to stand before you and teach. And uh, I pray with the help of the Holy Ghost this morning that God will speak and minister to somebody. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you're there, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. I heard enough amens that I think we can proceed. But it's going to say here that, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. It says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, he's speaking of David that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. And gave it to David and his garments, and he gave him his sword and his bow, even as much to his girdle, it says. In verse 5, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and he behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And David was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass... As they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul have slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed but... Thousands. And here is the tangent. It goes off in his mind. What can he have more than but the kingdom? Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning with me and pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you for such a beautiful day. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this house. Lord, we thank you in advance, God, for the miracles, God, that will be wrought today. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the challenging God of your word. Lord, help us to grow in knowledge of you, but also to apply the word, not to be hearers only, but doers as well, God. I pray it in your mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord as you are seated this morning? Amen. So we are, believe it or not, in the month of February. That is so hard to believe. And we're turning our attention towards a new theme. If you remember last month, we studied prayer and how to better our prayer time, both privately and corporately. And this month, we're going to be focusing on not prayer. Obviously, prayer is still important. There's still aspects of prayer that we're going to talk about. But specifically now, we're going to focus our attention on relationships. Specifically, how do we strengthen our relationships with one another? How do we become better unified as the body of Christ with one another. And also, we can't forget about God. Now, I don't believe that what I'm about to say is going to catch anyone by surprise. I don't think that it's going to catch anyone. But how many of you would agree that all relationships are not created equal? Anybody? All right. All relationships are not created equal. Some relationships definitely hold more importance to us and on the other hand, there are some relationships that we have that they don't really hold any importance at all. I would say that in many ways, having this dynamic between, you know, the relationships that are important to us and the relationships that aren't important to us is probably very normal for us to look at it that way. The truth is, there are some relationships that we have, they're great relationships. How many of you can think of your best friends, right? They're great relationships. Some relationships are good, right? It's a good thing we we have this communion as the body of Christ. It's a good thing. I would even elevate it to that part where I said it's great, but there are also some relationships we have that are bad relationships. Hello, somebody. There are some relationships we shouldn't even be in, but we find ourselves in those relationships. There are some relationships we need to avoid, and whether those relationships are by choice or maybe they've just become a relationship by association or any other means that you can think of, the truth is throughout our lifetime, we're going to have and build relationships with many people, many different types of people, young, old, great, you know, terrible even. There are going to be relationships that we build throughout our journey in life. And yes, The most important relationship of all should be with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That should be the most important relationship that we have. But as we walk this earth, we cannot avoid having relationships with other people. In fact, if you try to isolate yourself, many people are going to look at you as strange. If you don't have a single friend, I think for a while, Brother Scott, you didn't have a friend within the body. But thank God you have a friend today. Amen. Right. But our relationships, whether we want to admit it or not, they have a way of shaping us. It's often those relationships we have that are the most important to us, those are the ones that have the ability to hurt us the most. Why is that? right? Why, why is, is, is that great relationship we have not only just able to, to hurt us, but it's also that relationship with our closest friend or our closest, you know, brother or sister in Christ, those are also the relationships that have the ability to pick us up and not just tear us down. They have the ability to speak life into us. There are other relationships that we put above the rest because we hold that other person in high esteem or if we've chosen to remain with that person for better or worse. If you're married, right, you're married to probably it should be your best friend right? The people that we call our best friends are, are uh, the ones that have gone through some things with us. We've come to cherish them. We can think of marriages, family, right? Some of us, we don't have the choice of who we are family to, but we are still close to family, best friends. Even there's a dynamic between us and spiritual authority, I'm thankful. Pastor is my friend. But I cherish that relationship above many others in my life because pastor has the ability to speak into my life. We have a different dynamic with the leaders and mentors in our life. These are the relationships we form that matter the most to us. And it's with that train of thought this morning that I would like to teach on this subject, the loyalty of Jonathan. The loyalty of Jonathan. Loyalty, Webster tells us, is also known as the allegiance or the fidelity that you might have to something or someone. Loyalty implies that we have a sense of duty or we are devoted. We have a devoted attachment to something again or or someone. And perhaps I would say this morning that one of the most rare or lacking qualities in our world today when it comes to relationships is loyalty. We are at a deficit with who can we trust to be loyal to us in this day and age. One friend may appear to be loyal, but we don't really know whether they are or not until the conflict comes into account. And I believe we can see that even as I I was studying in our marriages, right? One of the most glaring relationships that we see this trend of of a loss of loyalty is in our marriages. As of 2019, almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. Researchers estimate that 41% of all marriages that happen for the first time will end in divorce. If you get married a second time, then it's 60% likely that you will again end in divorce. If you happen to marry for a third time, you see the trend is continuing to rise. 73% of all third marriages end in divorce and we would say man united states we are such a, a a crazy just country but believe it or not we are the sixth rate ra- rating as far as the country we are the sixth highest we have the sixth highest divorce rate in the world here are some crazy stats i'm going to give you if you were to average out how many marriages take place in the united states every 16 seconds there's a marriage in the us that means that there are 230 marriages per hour, 5,520 marriages per day, 38,762 marriages every week, and 2,015,603 people are married or come together a year. Contrast that with the divorce rate. Every 42 seconds, someone gets divorced in the United States. That equates to 86 divorces an hour, 2,046 divorces every day, 14,364 diverse divorces that happened this week, and 746,971 divorces per year. That's just crazy to think about how many divorces happen in our world, just in our country alone. And I'm not even here to reason that every divorce. I understand there's different reasons for people to get a divorce. I'm not here to really teach about divorce here. In the, but in the context of how we remain loyal to one another. 50% of our marriages is implying that loyalty is a problem. The ability to be loyal to someone is a problem. This vow that till death do us part doesn't really hold value to us like it should. Loyalty does, as we know, go beyond just marriages. And I really do wanna broaden this scope and look at every relationship that we have with one another, if anything, Maybe we can hone in on our friendships and even our relationships within the body of Christ. But the Bible tells us that every one of us, we have a role to play in the kingdom of God. We are fitly framed together, right? We're meant to love one another. We're meant to prefer one another. We're meant to provoke one another to good works. But the only way we can accomplish that is we must build relationship with one another. We must be friendly. We must remain loyal to one another. If I were to ask everybody in here to name the qualities you look for in a close friend, many of us would add loyalty into that list, right? How many of you think loyalty is important? You don't want friends that are going to turn their back on you at the drop of a dime. You don't want that. None of us want that. How many of you have ever experienced that? It's not a very, very pleasant experience. We hold on to loyalty. How many know Jesus is loyal? He's the most loyal that when we can compare any relationship to Jesus, Jesus ascends and he tops the list. Right. A quote by a philosopher named Saratotes says that when it comes to loyalty, God is the standard that we must measure it against. Deuteronomy seven and nine tells us that know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's a very, very long time. Romans chapter 8 tells us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us. Paul says, for I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, the New American Standard Bible says it like this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Our King James Version says that he cannot deny himself. What that means is that he cannot change the nature of who he is. God is faithful by his nature. He is loyal by his nature. He cannot change who he is. So God will always be loyal. That's why God is the standard when we look at loyalty. So here's my question this morning. Why is loyalty in people so rare? Why is it such a difficult quality to find, right? When we look at our friends and maybe your closest friends that you have, when you think about all the friends you've had over your lifetime, why do those particular close friends you have stand out from the others? As I began to ponder this, the more I sort of came to this conclusion, and it's really kind of a uh, two-part picture here. And the first one is that the reason why loyalty is so rare is that Loyalty doesn't reveal itself until it's tested. You don't really question if your friend is your friend until there's a disagreement or there's discontent or there's a rumor that spread. And you want to know, did that friend join in or did that friend defend you? Right. You, you don't know or question loyalty until a conflict arises. That's the first one. The truth is everyone appears loyal when the good times are going on. When you're on the mountaintop, everybody's your best friend. I came across this, this, this quote while I was studying. It says that faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, right? When the storm gets the heaviest, who's really going to be by you or who's going to run away from the trouble? The second part that I kind of came to a conclusion of is that when we talk about loyalty in a relationship, there's also there's this dynamic of giving and taking. Right In the testing phase where loyalty is brought into, uh, 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 when ro- loyalty rises to the top, we get to see if that other person will first remain loyal to us in the test. But on the opposite end of that test is when we're going through a test, we also get to choose if we're going to remain loyal to that other person, right? It's one thing if that person denies me, but it's another thing if I make the decision to deny them. Right. You guys understand that it's one thing for a friend to be loyal to us, but we also must display the same loyalty in order for them to see it reciprocated. I'm not sure who first said this, but you may be familiar with some of these quotes. Loyalty is hard to find. Trust is easy to lose and actions speak louder than words. That's the one my dad always used to tell me. Actions speak louder than words. But Marcus Tullius Cicero says that nothing is more noble, nothing is more venerable than loyal. Nothing is more important than loyalty. Pascal Mercier says loyalty is a decision, and it really is a resolution of the soul. Rochelle Head says love and loyalty run deeper than blood. How many have some people? They're not your blood relatives, but you can know you can trust them when the rubber meets the road, right? My wife calls her friends the ride or die friends that she has. They, they're they're going to stay with her no matter what. They're loyal. A couple more quotes here. Loyalty is rare. When you find it, keep it. And one of the good ones I found here is that loyalty is the strongest glue which makes a relationship last for a lifetime. And we, we can see these qualities as we're going to study in Jonathan. When we look at... Jonathan's life. And as we study these stories in 1 Samuel, uh, uh, the, the book of 1 Samuel, I want us to look at the actions of Jonathan, and we can reveal how Jonathan displays his loyalty. So we, before we jump into the story, I want to briefly lay a little foundation and highlight the major characters. Many of you are familiar with them. Many of you have certainly read or at least heard about David. David, the Bible describes, as a man after God's own heart. We know that David is a worshiper, but he's also a mighty warrior. David is the youngest son in his family. And at this particular point in 1 Samuel chapter 18, where we, where we read our opening text, David has just slain Goliath. And he had already been anointed, even if no one else but the, the uh, prophet Samuel knew, he had already been anointed to be the next king in Israel. So there's one character. David is certainly an important part of this story. Another character who plays a part in this story is Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. Saul is also Jonathan's father. The Bible tells us earlier in in 1 Samuel that God chose Saul to save his people specifically from the Philistines. And over a period of time, King Saul goes through a whole bunch of changes during his reign. And now he's become an arrogant type of king. Eventually, it's his sin and disobedience to God, which is where God or where God gets to a point where God says that David is going to become the successor to Saul's reign. And Saul eventually allows his paranoia of who the next king will be because Samuel told him that, you know, the next king is going to be from someone who's not a part of your family. So now Saul is paranoid in who the next king is going to be to such a point that he eventually wants to kill David. And also in the story, he even attempts to kill his son, Jonathan, as well. And so now we come to the third character, and that is Jonathan. Jonathan is a prince. How many know Jonathan is a prince? He is Saul's oldest son, which makes him, whether he knows that David is the next king or not, Jonathan is the heir to the throne. The Bible tells us that he is a skilled archer and he has favor with the people. He's skilled in battle. He's a mighty warrior and he's a leader. I believe as I studied, he leads up to a third of Saul's forces. But more importantly, and probably the greatest quality that Jonathan has is that Jonathan absolutely loves God. And so as we'll see from this story, Jonathan first loved the Lord. He also loved who would become his best friend, David. But also in this story, Jonathan loves his father as well. And so if you can imagine with me how this story unfolds, there is times in the story where Jonathan feels trapped in the middle of what's going on around him. And despite going through all these challenges and tough times, and even when his father puts on a manhunt to kill his best friend, Jonathan remains loyal. He stays loyal first to God. And he also stays loyal to David. And yes, he even stays loyal to his father, who turns out to be kind of a wicked king. He stays loyal to him as well. And it's important to note the order of those loyalties that I just gave you. Because first, Jonathan is loyal to God. Every action and decision he makes comes from a standpoint of being loyal to Jehovah first. And how many know in every relationship we have, we must keep God first? A lot of times we want to have a relationship and later on throw God into the mix, but that's the wrong way to have the order. The order needs to be loyalty to God alone first, and he'll work everything else out. Amen? So let's get into this story of Jonathan. The first time that Jonathan and David meet, is when David is standing before the king. If you want to get your Bible back to 1 Samuel chapter 18, David is standing before King Saul, and he is recounting of how he defeated Goliath. And for a minute, I want you to put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. We hear how David is having his moment of fame. David, this is David's finest hour. Here he talks about how he grabbed the smooth stones from the brook, how he flung that sling and and threw that rock and it hit Goliath right between the eyes. You can imagine Saul and everyone else in Saul's army, they are enraptured by David's story here. And how, if you are Jonathan, how would you feel in this moment? Many of us, we would be excited, right? We'd be on the edge of our seat listening to this story. But as we see God's anointing at work in another person's life, We'd probably, and many of us do this, we start to weigh David's victories against our own victories. We start to weigh the successes of David, who God is now rising up in the kingdom, and we start to compare him to ourselves. How many of us know that we do that, right? When we see someone else on the job get the promotion, we say, man, I should have had that promotion, Right. When someone else gets what we want or even how many of you have ever seen God bless someone else? And you're like, God, you forgot about me, Lord. I've been I've been faithful this whole time. God, have you forgot about me? Many times this is the, the result that we have, even if it starts as a thought in our mind. We're human beings. Naturally, a lot of times these are the feelings that we won. The truth is Jonathan had also had victories that he won in the Lord's army. But today wasn't Jonathan's day. Today was the day that belonged to David. David is the one that killed the giant Goliath, not Jonathan. So the question is, would you as Jonathan be jealous of David in this moment? Right? Why is it that when we see other people elevated, we often feel inferior? Why is it when God begins to lift someone else up, even in the church? I'm just being real. It happens within the church. Competition is a real emotion that we have to battle with, right? We can't help but compare ourselves and compare our accomplishments when other people get lifted up in front of us. When other people are raised and put on a platform, many times we get in our feelings because we're like, I I did just as good as they did. But I'm not getting the accolades that they are. In most cases, this is our response. And maybe we don't even show that reaction, but it certainly goes through our minds. But the Bible says none of this actually goes through Jonathan's mind at all. When we read the account in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and verse 1, it says, When he had made an end, David, of speaking with Saul, that immediately Jonathan and David become friends. Immediately, the Bible says that Jonathan's soul is knit to the soul of David to the point where Jonathan loves him as his own soul, it says, instead of becoming jealous or intimidated or envious of this youth who David was. As I did my study, Jonathan is kind of a grown man at this point. And now he's seeing this young whippersnapper come along and get all the glory. And, and really, the Bible says that both Jonathan and David become friends quickly. It was like the first time they met one another, they immediately became friends. Again, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now, in this first exchange, I don't know, the Bible doesn't record it. I don't even know if Jonathan really knew that David was anointed to take his place. I don't know. Did David tell him in this moment of friendship that, hey, by the way, I'm taking your place? You know, not only am I taking the glory now, but guess what? You're not next in line. I am. I don't know if that took place. I don't think it really did because that would have probably been an awkward conversation to have right in that moment of first meeting one another. We don't just meet someone and say, guess what? <laughs> You're out and I'm in. That's, that's not a means to build a friendship, right? If you've ever built a friend like that, tell me how that went. And it's probably very awkward at the beginning. But I do believe here that Jonathan saw something different in David that day something that led him the bible says to make a covenant with him i believe that Jonathan saw the anointing of the lord on David you see the story that David tells to this audience was also a story that Jonathan knew the experience of because the bible says that in first samuel chapter 14 right David with the help of the lord defeated giant the giant goliath but Jonathan also has an experience to tell where he also, by the help of the Lord, was able to defeat the Philistines as well. Jonathan and his armor bearer at one point, it says in 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised, and it may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Skipping down to verse 12, it says, And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us. The Philistines are saying, Come on up. If you're bad, come on up here. And and we're going to show you what's going to take place. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after them, and they fell. Every Philistine fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer slew after them. So Jonathan, obviously he finds this close connection to David. But the truth is, I believe Jonathan sees the hand of the Lord on David's life, just like he knew the hand of the Lord had been on his life. So that was the reason, or maybe one of the reasons, the Bible says they form a kinship. They form a relationship really very, very quickly. So quickly, in fact, that it seemed to be one soul right? They're knit one soul to one another, one soul in two bodies. But as we look at this account in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it's verse 4 that I really, really want to focus on this morning. I have a whole lot of points. I'm not sure if I'm going to get through them, but we're going to start at this one. 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 4, it says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. Here we find Jonathan giving David the clothes on his back, giving David his armor, giving David his fighting gear, even to the point where he gives David his bow, which if you can imagine, how many would love to get a gift like that? The moment you meet a friend, they just hand over gifts to you. How many want friends like that? If you guys got a gift to give, come see me after church. I will gladly receive whatever you want to give, all right? Right? Jonathan hands over probably his most prized possession, which was his bow. The Bible says that Jonathan was a renowned archer. And what's more, in this moment, Jonathan and David make a covenant, a solemn agreement that they will be bound together as friends who will always support one another. And as we look, I talked earlier about this response of when people are raised, you know, in front of us, God puts, gives them glory to, to kind of raise in their hour, right? As we look at Jonathan's response, contrast that to how we would respond. If you see someone else being raised in your eyes, would you immediately start giving them gifts? Or would you get jealous of how God is using them? Right? How would we respond in this moment? And as we look at Jonathan's response of giving David the clothes that he has on his back, it's significant. As I began to study this out in detail, the more I began to notice... One, how supportive, but also how accommodating Jonathan is to his new friend. All of Jonathan's self-interest and self-centeredness take a back seat in this moment. He didn't try to one-up David and say, oh, by the way, Dad, guess what? I also, there was a time where I came and defeated the Philistine. Don't forget about me. No, that's not what, what, what Jonathan did. At this moment, there isn't a single hint of jealousy or animosity in Jonathan's actions. And on the surface, it appears that Jonathan is just giving his friend a gift. But the impact of this gift is tremendous. And I really hope that this comes out as God gave it to me. I hope that it makes some sense this morning. Just hang with me and you're going to catch it. But first, I want to talk about the significance of the clothes that he gives. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, you remember that in the story, right before David faces the giant, that David turns down the offer that Saul gives him for his armor. If there was ever a time where David needed armor, it was before the battle. But here we find Jonathan turning over his armor after the battle, right? David, why would David need the gift now when it would have been better for him to have the gift before? But we know that during the battle, and even now as he's standing before King Saul and the leaders of his army, David is dressed in the same clothes that he's always dressed in. He's dressed in the the same clothes that he had woke up the last morning with, the same clothes for the last few years that he has wore. Who can tell me prior to this moment what was David's job? The Bible says he was a shepherd. David's occupation was that of a shepherd. And I don't know if you know this in the Bible, but shepherds were not high on the social ladder in society. In fact, being a shepherd was like an insult to those around you. This is a theme we see in Scripture from when Jesus is born and the angels appear unto the lowly and meek shepherds. If you were a shepherd, it it meant that you were low in the social status. And it was an occupation that people frowned upon. And so the fact that now Jonathan is giving over his clothes to David And specifically, his clothes to David changes things. Not only was he doing this because David was his friend, but this clothing was symbolic because now Jonathan is identifying David as being equal to him. David, you're not beneath me in this moment. Just because of how you're you're dressed and because I may know your background, right? A lot of times when someone gets elevated in our eyes, we start to belittle them. Where did you come from? Who, Who are you? Don't you know I'm the king's son? This is how we behave. But the Bible says Jonathan didn't do that at all. What he does is he hands over his clothes because David, in his eyes, as a friend, is equal to him. Right? It's time as we have relationships with one another, we be on an equal basis. I'm not over you. You're not over me. We're in this walk with God together. And so the blessing that Jonathan does or his actions here as he gives David his clothes become even more apparent as we look at verse 5. Says in David, he goes out wherever Saul sends him, and he behaves himself wisely. And Saul sets him over the men at war. And he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So first, let me back up a second. First, we see the significance of clothing in general. But now I want to take it one step further and look into the significance of Jonathan's clothing. We know that Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had the best of the best. He had the best clothes. He had the best armor that anyone could have, second to his father, the king. Everywhere Jonathan went, people just had to look at his clothes to recognize him. Now that David is dressed the same way that Jonathan is dressed, with Jonathan's own clothes at that. The whole kingdom has a different perspective when they look at David. No longer do they see the shepherd boy who's dressed as everybody else, who's dressed as this lowly, you know, downtrodden young young man. But now he is dressed up just like a prince is. And although David is not Saul's son, he's really not the prince, now that he is dressed like the prince, he is in appearance just like the prince himself. And so now we see David dressed in his new attire, He's doing the office, and and now he's kind of in a political role, right? He's set above the men at war, and now he is like Saul's errand boy. He's going where Saul tells him to go. And so just like a prince would do, David is kind of operating in the same manner. But here's where I said verse 5 comes into play, because it says that he is accepted by the people and Saul's servants by what? He's accepted in the sight of the people. Now, every time someone sees Jonathan or David walk by, immediately their thought is, that's an heir to the throne. Immediately their thought is, that's my prince right there. Oh, my gosh, everybody's clamoring like the paparazzi to get a picture of this guy as he walks by. What a tremendous blessing. I don't even know if Jonathan realized what he was doing when he gave over his his clothing unto David. But instead of tearing down David in this moment of David's greatest hour, Instead of becoming jealous of David in his greatest hour, Jonathan is instead building David up, even if subconsciously, even if, you know, as a friend, he's just handing him the robes. But what he's really doing is he is supporting this man of God in everything that he's doing. He's elevating the status of David, not just for those who are inside the palace, But every time someone else on the outside of the palace sees David dressed now as this prince and heir, he is also blessing David because David's already in line to be the next king. Everyone who looks at David from this point forward now looks at him as an heir to the throne when maybe at this point in time in the story, nobody even knows that David is next in line for the throne whether they even know for the fact that David's going to be the heir or not, Jonathan is already positioning David for success within the courts and kingdom of Israel. And so here's my question. Are we willing in our relationships to pour out from ourselves in order to see someone else rise, even be elevated above us? Are you willing to provide them with the means for them to succeed, even if it means we have to be demoted? or decreased in our role in order for them to be elevated. Are we willing to do that? That's real loyalty. That's putting them before ourselves. Are we willing to to follow Jonathan's actions, or are we willing to do what the Bible says the other character, King Saul, does? In 1 Samuel chapter 18, in verse 6, it says, And it came to pass. Now David is walking around the kingdom. Everybody sees his new attire, right? He's dressed like Jonathan is dressed. The women come out of the streets, right? And they're singing and dancing. And really they come out to meet Saul. But when their eye catches David and his new attire, they start to sing a different tune. Saul has slain his thousands. But oh, look at David. He has slain his ten thousands. Verse 8 says that Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more than the kingdom? And verse 9 says, and Saul I, David from that day forward. How many know if we are really loyal in our friendships, loyal in our relationships, then we're not going to tear people down. We're not going to bring them low. We're not going to get jealous because God is raising them up. The most dangerous thing in a church is competition. When you feel like you got to compete against your brother and sister, come on, God is bigger than that. God is able to bless us all in equal measure to whatever we need. We don't need to go ahead and begin to tear one another down. We need to show the qualities of loyalty and be be ready to build one another up as Jonathan does toward David. I know for a fact I'm not going to get through all my notes, but real quickly I want to hit the second action that we see loyalty in Jonathan 1 Samuel chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, And Saul spake unto Jonathan his son, this is further in the story, and all his servants, and they, Saul says that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father is seeking to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go and stand beside my father in the field where thou art and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see that will I tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David because David hasn't sinned against you. Because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel, for thou sawest it, and you even were glad about it. You rejoiced about it. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Verse six says, And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, As the Lord liveth, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan showed him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence, as in times past. And real quickly, I just want to touch on the loyalty of Jonathan here. The point I want to make is that Jonathan was honest, and also Jonathan was willing to make things right. What a scenario we could be in if we imagine ourselves as Jonathan right now. I'm sure he feels very conflicted in his loyalties. Am I supposed to help my friend or am I supposed to back my father? What, what can I do? I feel like I'm in the middle of a trap. How in the world do I navigate these waters? Your own father wants to kill your best friend. And I remember the order I said of loyalty. First, Jonathan was loyal to God, loyal to David, and he's still even loyal to Saul, as we'll find out in this moment. Despite being trapped in this scenario, he didn't let his loyalty Waver, And I come to say that loyal friends are honest friends. Although Jonathan doesn't hide David, the Bible doesn't say that Jonathan says you need to be in this place at this point and I'm going to shield you. No, Jonathan doesn't hide David. In fact, throughout all of scripture in in this process of this story, Jonathan never goes out of his way to particularly put David in a secure place. But what he does do is he tells David the truth every time. His life is in danger. Every time there's a plot on David's life, Jonathan is the first one to warn him of this is what's coming. He's being honest. He's warning him of the danger he's in now. Not even or not only does Saul want to kill him, but Saul even commands all the officials and servants in his kingdom to also kill David. The moment you find David, I don't care who you are. You could be my son. You could be my my, uh, accountant. You could be my... my, uh, my uh what's the word I'm looking for you could be my um my secretary for all I care every time you see David your job is to kill him and here we find Jonathan being honest with his friend and not hiding this manhunt that King Saul puts out for for David Jonathan is warning him of what is taking place but he's also letting David know that despite what's going on I'm still I still got your back Despite what's going on, I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to go talk to my father to make things right. I'm not going to abandon you when you need it the most. You're not alone in this problem is basically what Jonathan is telling him. And the second point of loyalty we see in here as I'm hurrying to a close this morning is that loyal friends are honest. Even to those that perhaps don't want to hear what they have to say, but they need to hear it anyway. We witness not only Jonathan's loyalty to David by telling him the truth, but we also see Jonathan's loyalty to his father and king by the counsel that he gives unto Saul. How many know it's difficult to talk to someone when they've already made up their mind? Right? It's it's hard. You already got your mind made up. It's like a lost cause for me to try to convince you otherwise. Right? But here we find Jonathan trying anyway. We've all been there before. It can feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall and you're not making any progress. But what's more important than loyal is the fact that we can't ever get to the place where we simply give up on somebody. How many know what it feels like when someone gives up on you? It's a hard place to be. But here we find Jonathan trying, even even if it sounds like or appears to be a lost cause, even if we know that, They may not listen to what we have to say. It's still important that we try. That may be the last time that they hear that they need to turn to God. That may be the last time when we know someone is walking away from God for us to say, man, give God one more shot. Don't give up on God. Your best days are ahead of you. But if we see them going and we feel like it's a lost cause, some of us, we don't even say anything. And what that person might need in that moment of, or that hour of weakness is they might have just needed you to remind them one more time to try again. But he tells, or I should say, the more and more I study Jonathan, Jonathan's actions, the more I believe that even if this hadn't been David, he still would have likely tried to change his father's mind, even if it wasn't his best friend. He tells his father not to perform this great sin. That David is indeed innocent of everything he's accusing him of, that all David has done up until this point is he has profited the kingdom. All of David's actions have also not just profited the kingdom, but they've saved Saul's neck. When he killed Goliath, if he would have lost the battle, then Saul would have lost his head. But here we find David has actually saved Saul's life, whether Saul realizes it or not. And more importantly, Jonathan is reminding Saul that God is the one who has blessed David in this hour. Nobody else raised David up, but God is the one who has raised David up in order to save the nation. If David were to die, is what he's telling his father, then all of Israel would cry out because he is the one who has saved us. What he's really telling his dad, and this is an honest answer, is you need to repent, dad. You need to turn away from your wicked ways, dad. I know you're my father and I know this is maybe not appropriate for a son to tell their father this, but I'm confronting you because I don't want you to be left behind. I don't want God to strike you down and, and I don't want to lose my father. So as a loyal son, he's saying, I don't want to see you lost, dad, because of the decision you're about to make. You see, through this progression of or at this point in the story, Jonathan has had to watch as his father and king, has slowly backslidden away from where God originally had him be. He started out as this mighty king. And yes, he is the king who's supposed to save the Philistines. But over time, he starts to do things his own way. He starts to become unrighteousness or unrighteous, I should say, in the eyes of God. And he begins to perform wickedness in the eyes of God. Saul goes to to, uh, Samuel, goes to Saul and he tells him, this is what God has seen you do. And now you don't have the blessing of God on your life anymore. There's gonna come a king after you, and it's not gonna come from your line, all because he's backslidden away from where God had him to be. And this is Jonathan remaining loyal to his father and saying, Dad, you're not the man who you used to be. You're not the man that God chose to be king over this nation. It's time for you to turn back to God, is what he's telling his father. This is a plea for his for him to say, Dad turn back to God, repent, and watch what God can do in your life. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 6 that for a brief period of time, Jonathan's plea works because we see that Saul swears, and he swears on the Lord's name. He says, as the Lord lives, David's not going to be slain. And as I come to a close this morning, And maybe I'll continue this next week as I have a whole lot of notes here. But as we look at the loyalty of Jonathan, as you can stand this morning, as we come to a close, the point I want to make is that Jonathan was honest to both sides of the party in this instance. He was honest to David, that David, somebody's going to come after you to kill you. But he was also honest to his father to tell his father that he was in the wrong. And really, Jonathan didn't give up on his father. Many times we want to throw in the towel when, when we see someone else, and maybe it's not their loyalty to us that's in question, but it, maybe it's their loyalty to God that's in question. But in many cases, it's us, the body of Christ, as we look at relationships. We're the ones that have the power to pick someone up and tell them you can make it. We're the ones that have the ability to pick up our brothers and sisters when they're headed down the wrong path and say, hey, 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 turn your eyes back to God. I'm realizing the trend that you're on. That's true loyalty. We shouldn't abandon them when they start to backslide away from God. If anything, the rope needs to be pulled a little bit further so that we draw them closer to God. And the last little point I want to say this morning is that even in this process, Jonathan was willing to make things right because at the end in in verse uh, 7, it says that Jonathan brought David to Saul. He brought them face to face to say, hey, my dad made a mistake, David. You don't have to hide anymore. But it says that, and David was in Saul's presence as in times past. A restoration took place where David could come back into the position that God had originally planned for him to be simply because Jonathan was willing to stand in the gap to make sure both sides were reconciled. How many know that's true loyalty, right? I know many of us, we've had moments in our life where we've been disappointed in other people. We've been disappointed when other folks have let us down. And I understand we're human. We're not perfect. But we have an example that we can follow in Jonathan. And more importantly, we have an example we can follow in Jesus Christ, That Jesus has remained faithful to us even when we were not faithful to him, the Bible says. And so how much more should we be faithful in our relationships with one another? We need to give one another the benefit of the doubt. We need to be willing to help build others up. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11am Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going away wait you I've going away